We are Marquette. 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 We Welcome back to the We Are Marquette podcast. I'm Tim Sigelski, and for this first episode of 2018, we have Megan Carver and Kelsey Otero from the 707 Hub. Megan is the Associate Director of the Kohler Center for Entrepreneurship, and Kelsey is the Associate Director of Social Innovation. Together, they focus on bringing an entrepreneurial mindset to Marquette. Last year, they opened a new space on campus called the 707 Hub, where students can start businesses, take a risk, and try new things under the guidance of teachers and entrepreneurs. And speaking of trying new things, on a quick programming note, I'm going to try new formats for this podcast this semester. Sometimes it will be sit-down interviews like this one. Other times you'll hear one person telling their first-person story. Other times, you'll hear people teaching, working, and learning on campus. We'll see what comes from these experiments, and I'd love to hear your feedback. The easiest way to get a hold of me is to send a message to Marquette's Facebook or Twitter account. I'd be happy to hear any thoughts or feedback you have so we could do more with this podcast in 2018. And now, here's my conversation with Megan and Kelsey. And so you know who's talking, the first person you hear after my question will be Megan. You can start anywhere you want. Start from the very beginning. Start from college. Start from 707 Hub. Just kind of what got you interested in entrepreneurship? When I graduated, it was 2008, and I went to work for Brady Corporation. Um, had a couple of different marketing roles and really enjoyed that experience. Um, and then it was the last role that really brought me back to entrepreneurship. I was working for the corporate relations team. Um, and it was a mix of both employee relations and communication and then also working for the uh, Brady Foundation. Um, and through the foundation, I got to establish programming throughout Milwaukee that was focused on entrepreneurship. Um, and then I started working with Marquette um, and Social Innovation and the Good Money Challenge. And that was just sort of sealed the deal for me that this is really where my passion is, and I loved it, um, and at the same time, Marquette was looking to revitalize the Kohler Center for Entrepreneurship, um, and the stars aligned, and now I'm at Marquette. So I want to back up real quick. What were those classes or the professors or maybe the projects that kind of opened your eyes to entrepreneurship being a thing that you might be interested in? Yeah. Um, so the one that really sticks out to me was uh, the consulting class, and it was taught by Alex Stewart at the time. Um, and my group and I, uh, we consulted with a Ponderosa restaurant on Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. Drive. And it was a woman who owned a gas station and decided that that wasn't profitable. Uh, the hours were crazy and it was just, it was risky. So she decided to buy a franchise and start a Ponderosa. Mm. Um, and we were able to help her with her marketing efforts. Um, and it became very clear to me through that experience that 
you know, I could leverage the my communication um, background, my marketing background that I had gotten in the minor and apply them to real life situations. Um, and she inspired me, honestly, you know, her determination and her passion for serving her community motivated me to to help her. And so that experience really stood out in my mind. And then the other uh, class that I really enjoyed was uh, New Venture Creation. The thrill of validating whether or not this idea was actually something that was viable and trying to sell it to our peers and to our uh, professor. And at the time, it felt very real. And it was something that we could get behind. And, you know, the best part about all of that was that we were truly trying to solve a problem Mm -hmm. for an unmet need. So it sounds like like project-based type learning. Mm -hmm. So rather than, you know, here's from a textbook or a lecture what some principles are, which you obviously get to for foundation, but these were things you dove into and made some real-world difference. Yep. Kelsey, how about you? Uh, My background has nothing to do with entrepreneurship, but I do think it has a lot to do with innovation, and that's really kind of how I made um, a little bit of a transition. I did Olympic marketing uh, for quite a while, and I had did – Olympic consulting work for Coca-Cola, AT&T, and Hilton. So when and you say Olympic, you're talking about like the Olympics. I'm talking about the Olympics, okay. yes. Been to quite wow. a few Olympics, so. Did you have any favorite partners, maybe Olympians or corporate clients or people that you were like, this was an inspiration, this kind of taught me what partnerships should look like? Oh, yeah. I had a great um, manager at the USOC, so we had a really good working relationship, and that and allowed the, us – that's the U.S. There. Olympic Committee. Okay. <laughs> so we had a really good relationship and was able were able to do some really cool things together. Uh, one of my favorite programs that I worked on when I was working for Hilton, we redid the – one of the Olympic – training centers with all new Hilton products. When we went in there, we realized the athletes were sleeping on mattresses from, gosh, I think the 80s, and a lot of amenities hadn't been upgraded. And here we had a hotel company that was constantly putting in new sheets, new mattresses, new beds that allowed guests to sleep there at their fullest um, and get a good night's sleep. Our athletes that are representing the U.S. should be able to have those same amenities. So we took a whole bunch of employees, did a really fun on-site experience day, and totally overhauled um, the training center and, and brought in new Hilton mattresses, sheets, little mini shampoo bottles, like anything that would allow them to better focus on training when they were there, um, which is what their their job was to do. So that was a really super exciting partnership. Um, favorite athlete, I had a very good relationship with Carrie Strug, and I remember watching the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. I was a gymnast at the time and was just totally inspired by her and her story, and I think a lot of people yeah. are. And um, it was really cool to get to know her as a person, a person beyond um, this sports icon that everyone knew her just for her accomplishments. But she was just a fantastic person to work. We did a couple of PR circuits together in London and had a really good relationship. And it's great when you can see athletes or just people for the a deeper story behind them and get to know mm-hmm. what makes them tick and, and who they are. And um, someone may have a gold medal, but at the end of the day, they're probably a, a daughter, son, parent to someone else. And, and that makes them a little bit more human. I think the image that most Americans have with Carrie Strug was like landing that, was it somersault? Uh, uh, yeah, on the leg? vault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to win the team gold medal. Yeah, for the that was the US first Olympics. time it had been done. Yeah, 
It's a pretty big deal. So how did you partner with her? What was your relationship there? We were doing some, um, a couple of events in London. I was in charge of all of our athlete relationships. So athletes that needed hotels, I did a lot of work with them and their clients to make sure that they were taken care of. And Carrie specifically, we had had a good um, relationship with her in the past. And so she did some uh, PR segments. And we went and you could see the entire Olympic Village behind us um, during one of the segments. And we did a... Uh, about a 10-hour day hitting major press news stations all across the U.S. So we were six hours or so ahead of um, U.S. time. So we went from, like, morning news until midday afternoon across the coast. And she was just a wonderful ambassador and spokesperson for what the Olympics really truly value and for the message that our client wanted to get out there in the world. Well, let's uh, go back to present day. We haven't we haven't even talked about the 707 hub yet. Um I think people are starting to see it. It's very visible from Wisconsin Avenue. It's part of our spark. Uh, parents and new students are learning about it right off the bat. Uh, but for those who aren't familiar, what is 707 Hub? Uh, what does it do? Uh, the 707 Hub is a innovation incubator on campus, so there is nothing else like it. Um, we have a lot of different amenities for students to take advantage of. Uh, they can come in, they can occupy the space. So we have a lot of students who are actually occupying their businesses from the 707 Hub. Uh, we have a multitude of different activities throughout the year to get involved in. Uh, whether that's speaker series, pitch competitions. Um, we do have a student-run coffee business that's located there that students can work for, and a whole host of other things that they can engage in. Um, and then we do a lot of partnerships. Going back to what Kelsey was saying, uh, we've built a lot of strong relationships on campus, and we host different uh, groups in the space, whether that's um, something that we're actively uh, doing, such as helping students uh, develop and refine pitches or just hosting them, uh, such as uh, classes who want to do final presentations, things like that. Uh, but it's a wonderful space. Um, it really provides an opportunity for students across campus to come in and to meet each other um, on a totally different level. And what we're really interested in doing is getting all of these different minds from across campus in one location so that they collide um, and start sharing their knowledge because that's when true innovation happens. We like to say that it is a space where ideas are challenged, stretched, and realized, but it really is true. We have a lot of students that come into the space that don't think of themselves as an innovator or an entrepreneur, but they find a space where they maybe didn't have a space somewhere else on campus just to come in and meet other students. We have students that are working on full-fledged businesses and running them out of there. We have students that are trying to solve problems on campus or social problems that they see in the community, and so it's um, a space that is very flexible and collaborative and we want students to come in and understand that they can be innovative and agile in whatever endeavors that they decide to pursue and it's really up to them to kind of own what that direction is. This project is also unique because it started with two students. Sam Wesley and Creighton Joyce submitted a strategic innovation fund proposal about two years ago that would actually move the Kohler Center for Entrepreneurship, which was located on the fourth floor of the 707 building, a little bit hidden, not really too innovative, um, and would expand it both in size and resources. And so they uh, received funding and worked closely with Kelsey and I and 
um, an on-campus architect for the past two years to figure out where this could possibly go. Um, and we must have looked at every building on campus, it felt like, um, and we decided to stay where we began in the 707 building. Um, and it really has been, um, has blown our expectations. It's actually a really interesting space because it's on the first floor and um, it started off as a bank and then it morphed into an insurance company and then was home to several small businesses and then our fundraisers were there making phone calls and then we had men's lacrosse there and now us uh, so it's interesting because it's come full circle in terms of businesses first occupied the space and now we're there helping students start businesses um, additionally when we were doing the renovation um, we started to uncover some really beautiful artifacts from when it was a bank uh, so as you walk around, you'll notice terrazzo floor, you'll notice uh, crown molding in the ceiling, although it's very rough. Uh, the number one question we get asked is, are you going to finish that ceiling? <laughs> and we're not. Uh, it really plays into the overall aesthetic of the space. And we want to make it feel inspiring. We want people to come in and feel like they don't have to be wearing a suit. They can come in and get their hands dirty. They can fail. They can move things around. Um, and the space has really allowed us to do that. Um, I will say that when we first went into this space, the men's lacrosse team, uh, who we've gotten to know very well and have a lot of respect for, um, were in there and it looked totally different and it smelled totally <laughs> different. So it was really um, an exercise uh, for us to use our imagination and creativity and to really see the space um, and imagine the potential that it, it could have. Um, so we've been very happy since we've moved in uh, at the end of March. We'll put some pictures up with this because I think you just have to see the transformation to believe it and mm -hmm. see it. Uh, if anyone was in the old Kohler Center, the fourth floor of the 707, there was kind of this dusty corner. I remember the first time I went in there, and this predated you two, um, <laughs> I went in there and I thought it was a ghost town. Like there was like literally a ghost town. There was a layer of dust on things and I think people just left their desk. Like it was just kind of <laughs> stayed there. And then you brought this new energy to the fourth floor. Uh, but like you said, you know, you, you, you still wanted to do more, create a new space. Uh, and people just have to see the transformation in the first floor of what this has become. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think one thing you mentioned, you talked about kind of the flexibility of the space. There's places to innovate, collaborate. You have 3D printers, you have swings, you have books, you have um, you know art installations, you have a place for presentations, a lot of different just places for people to go and create. Where have you seen some of the, I guess, maybe unexpected or inspiring creations happen? Uh, where, where have some of like the tools or the spaces you have kind of taken on life of, lives of their own? The sewing machine, actually, um, really has had an interesting uh, role in the space. So we bought it last year, and it was $100, and we decided um, it was worth the investment because we had a student who was working on a clothing company. And so we thought, okay, let's buy it, let's give it a shot and see how it goes over. Um, and since then, we have had so many students request that sewing machine. And not only are they sewing clothes, they're sewing rafts, they're mm. sewing um, straps that are part of uh, exercise equipment. And we've had undergrads to graduate students who have used it. Mm -hmm. um, and men, women, um, truly all disciplines. So it's been a really interesting um tool for the space because we never imagined that it would be so popular. Um, and according to my sources, uh, we have 
the only um, sewing machine on campus besides theater. So I think that also helps. Um, but it's been it's definitely been a surprise. Um, I think one of my surprises was uh, it actually comes from what the students think of and how they want to use the space. And I'm always surprised. We had a student come in and she was filming a bunch of interviews with a bunch of community leaders. And she found a whole bunch of different nooks and places within the 707 Hub, filmed a ton of interviews. And it almost looked like she went to different places all around campus and she was able to do it all within the same building. And I think that's, um, you know, a huge thing that we wanted to be able to convey is a space for play and for work and so she was able to use the stage for things the couch the swing the tables the picnic table I think you start to get the idea now and those are things I maybe wouldn't have necessarily seen but the students Mm -hmm. pick up on those things because it's there's no other space like it on campus I think that you can come into that's interesting that in an innovation space maybe you think of digital technology and that sort of thing and people gravitate toward a sewing machine, mm-hmm. which you think is very old-fashioned. But I think one thing you've seen from this generation, this next coming generation, is this idea of, like, I want something tangible. Everything's so digital. Let's create something tangible. Let's create something new with the old. Uh, so it's interesting that you have some student ventures that gravitate toward that. And very few people know how to use it coming in. So, <laughs> which, true. obviously, like, um, but what's interesting is they all walk out and they've learned it. So... Mm-hmm. It's amazing within a couple of hours of just playing how they're able to figure out how to work the sewing machine and make something tangible that they probably, when they walked in, didn't know if they'd, Mm -hmm. you know, walk out with some finished product or not. Are there other tools on a a wish list or a a future plan where you want to add? old school or new school that you want to add? We are working on continuing to build out our workshop space and we're going to be adding some new tools there just to continue to allow students to tinker and prototype. Uh, We're constantly getting feedback from them on different pieces of equipment that they would want. Um, My my big wish list, and I think Megan would agree with me on this, is to expand our innovation space outside. Mm. Wisconsin is a great state you know, a couple months out of the year, the weather is awesome, and we want to be able to utilize that. There's been a lot of times where we've gone outside and brainstormed or met with other students, and our our dream is that the um, the courtyard right off of our space would allow students to flow in and out um, and engage with each other outside when it's yeah. nice and inside when it's cold. <laughs> so hopefully down the road uh, we'll have some, some uh, plans and something to be able to bring to life. That's fantastic. I... I... So I teach a couple of classes, as you know, and, and whenever the weather is nice, especially unexpectedly exactly. nice, you got to take the class outside. Like, you just see this, like, response from them. You know, it's like, the weather's great. Let's go outside and learn. Let's do stuff. Let's get hands-on. Let's soak up the sun while we can. So that's really great to hear that you're doing that. Exactly. Um, and then in addition to the tools and the outdoor space, what we uh, envision for the future are adding more programs um, to the space. So for example, we're starting a boot camp, a business boot camp, uh, spring semester. Um, and this is an iteration of several other things that we've done in the space and continuing to add things that way as well. And I think we have a lot more space for that now as well. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, your your indoor space is a testament to that. But if you look uh, where the Jezrez used to be, that's a whole new brand brand new space to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have this green space, and it's a very visible part of campus. So we could take advantage of it now. I think uh, it's just using our imagination to figure out what do you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing I'll mention is everything in our space, for the most part, is on wheels or it's very lightweight. Um, So we're constantly changing things up, and we did that because we know as our students change, as our programs change, 
uh, that we need to be, the space needs to be flexible enough to change with them. Um, so we had a boot camp this summer with some community members, and we had a completely new layout in the, um, the what we call the pitch area. Um, and we actually found through that experience that students gravitated towards those tables in that area because there was so much sunlight. Mm. Um, so it's been really interesting to observe, um, you know, different behaviors and different preferences uh, among students as we move things around. Um, but it's been wonderful to have that flexibility also for the different programs that we have. That reminds me, so I just listened to a 99% Invisible podcast where they talked about desire lines. You know, so like you're, you're kind of, it sounds like you're using like where students gravitate toward, mm-hmm. what they do, where they go to kind of help inform what you do next mm-hmm. and where you sort of, you know, see support and what else you can do. So yeah. it's a real innovative way to design. And we describe uh, the 707 Hub as a startup. It truly is. And the students are our customers. So we're constantly, you know, observing them, listening to them and designing programming um, and the space to meet their needs. So you've talked about a couple examples of that you have for student entrepreneurs and student businesses and it's very diverse you know you have a student who does has a dance company you have clothing companies you have a student startup that was just written about that are working with the plumbing industry construction industry <laughs> plumbing construction a couple different ones i think uh what kind of common threads do you see among these student ventures what are sort of the uh the inspiration or the things that ties them together I would say at its core, these students are really motivated. It's some They're working on a project that they care about. Um, and as motivated as they are, they're also able to balance school and all of the things they have going on and um, be agile in the process. A lot of our students, what they started out with day one that they thought they were going to do, the construction company is a good example of that, they change they pivot and they have to be okay with pivoting as they go and that's such a great life lesson for the students to be able to learn and they're all very passionate um and that's what drives them um to continue to work on their businesses and they're not afraid to take risks you know i think sometimes as you get older you become less um you're you're not as apt to take risks. And when you're, you know, in your 20s, the world is your oyster and they are, you know, willing to experiment with things. And if they don't work out, that's fine. They move on to the next thing. I've noticed that with almost all of the students that uh, we work with. And we've tried to encourage them to take more risks, actually, by providing funds that they don't need to pay back. Um, We want them to experiment while they are students here and not be, you know, once they graduate, they're going to have loans and debt and need to get insurance and a job and have to start, you know, paying major bills and adulting, if you will. Um, But when they're a student, they can pitch their idea to the dorm fund and get uh, seed funding from their peers. They can get pro bono consulting from a number um, of uh, individuals within the community who are experienced business people or experienced entrepreneurs themselves. Same thing with the Lawn Entrepreneurship Clinic. And uh, some of those tools may be available after you graduate, but probably not free, uh, which they are right now. So it's a really good opportunity to, if you have an idea, we're like, try it, go for it. What's the worst that can happen? And what are some of the success stories you've seen so far, either in terms of like an outcome of a successful business uh, or even just you know a venture that tried something, maybe failed, maybe pivoted, and learned some lessons as a result of that? 
Um, I have two very interesting stories, and they're not even about specific businesses, but I was reading um, a a letter that a student wrote the other day, and I was reading it to Megan, and I pulled out this line because I was so struck. Um, And this student who is not a business major um, at all, um, he was writing about how the work that he was doing um, and working with the 707 Hub helped prove to him that he was innovative and entrepreneurial. He hadn't thought of himself as an entrepreneur before, Mm -hmm. and he was able to shift his mindset. And, you know, he's going to go into medicine um, down the road, but what a great thing to be able to take into the work that you're going to do after you graduate Marquette. And for students to start to realize that they are innovative, I think, is hugely profound. The other story on the total opposite end – was working with um, a student um, who recently graduated, Allison, on her Youth Rise MKE um, program um, and magazine. And she used to bring the students in once a week and, into the space, and they would do some um, some writing, some filming, interviews, things like that. And one day, they weren't scheduled to come into the space, and I turn around, and one of the high schoolers just showed up. And I was like, "Oh, what are you guys doing? What are you doing here? You're like, you're you're supposed to be in calm today. You guys aren't coming over here." And he's like, "I got on a bus early. I got out of school, and um, I came down to Marquette. And I thought this is the greatest space on campus. And so he just walked in. And it's interesting to me that high school students can feel comfortable. So can adults. A lot of the parents that have been coming in during the spark sessions feel comfortable. And that's really shocking to me that many people can find a space there um, and be okay walking in. We see a lot of students that will stand outside the windows and kind of peer in. And that's a good opportunity for us to be like, hey, (laughs) step in, come in and see it. And we want to make sure that it isn't intimidating. So future high school students or current high school students, soon to be maybe Marquette students, um, will think of the 707 Hub when they do their tours and see themselves in there. One other example that I'll bring up is uh, we had a student who graduated. Uh, It's always bittersweet when they graduate, but uh, she was an accounting major and um, didn't view herself as being an entrepreneur at all. Um, but started getting involved in the, um, at the time, the Kohler Center activities and started with Buena Vida. Uh, So Buena Vida is our student-run coffee business. Uh, For every one pound of coffee sold, it provides one meal to an orphan in Honduras, and undergrad students staff the entire business um, and are leading it. So one semester, she decided that she was going to do the accounting uh, for Buena Vida, and absolutely fell in love with it. So probably three semesters in, she decided to join the dorm fund and was actively involved in hearing uh, business ideas and evaluating business models to determine if they were um, ready for funding. Um, And then she was just very involved with a lot of the different programming that we offered through the space. Always knew that she wanted to go and work for a corporation at some point, um, but recognized the skills that she was gaining through all of these experiences that she was having. Um, So when it came time to go out and look for an internship and ultimately a job, she was able to leverage those experiences um, and One of the most touching things was um, after they extended an offer, they um, actually sent her a note and said it was because of all of the additional work that you did outside the classroom 
that you were able to get this job. And it's a fabulous job with a fabulous company. Um, and it, those experiences really help to uh, set her apart. And, you know, we are certainly there to help students start businesses and provide a foundation for them to do that. But um, the average age for an entrepreneur is 40. And the reality is, is that, you know, 99% of our students do graduate and end up working in industry. And uh, we feel it's our responsibility to help them learn an entrepreneurial mindset and the skills necessary so that when they do get in that organization, they can flex those muscles or you know, after they've gotten that industry experience, they can go back on what they've learned um, and start something on the side. Uh, so, you know, we also look at, we measure success by um, engagement as well. Um, and last year alone, we figure we engaged with about 465-ish students from across campus. Uh, so that to us, you know, is a true indicator of success. So just a couple more questions to wrap up. So your your work is really about supporting, helping, inspiring students. What inspires you? What gets you fired up and, you know, interested in doing what you do? You know, this work can be exhausting at times and it's the thing that's most motivating is when a student comes in and has a really good success story or realizes that they did something that they didn't think that they could do on their own and I think that's um just that's one of the greatest gifts that I've gotten since working here. My other big motivation is my family, but I will say I do have a really nice work family as well. Um, and so it's exciting. You know, Megan and I are friends um, at work and out of work, and it's it's nice to um, have gotten to know so many people at Marquette and to come to work and work with really exciting people every day. Uh, the people really inspire me, um, the students and their passion and conviction for what they're doing. Um, and to Kelsey's point, you know, sometimes it can be a bit exhausting because we're dabbling in so many different things um, and trying to do so much. But really that the students really help to drive that motivation and the passion. Um, and at the end of the day, especially when we see students graduate or we receive, you know, emails of from them thanking us, it makes it all worth it. Um, and I Obviously, I'm friends with Kelsey and also agree that having a great uh, partner in crime, among others, is really important. You know, we use each other as sounding boards. We help to elevate each other's ideas. Um, and we're both incredibly passionate and we're doers. So it's nice because even if one of us um, needs help on something, uh, we both feel totally confident that the other one is capable of uh, helping helping out. So. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you, you touched on a lot of things everyone on campus sort of experiences is like, you know, drawing on support from, from others in this community, but also working on a college campus, like, it takes energy. It takes lots of energy <laughs> to help students. They're figuring things out. They need a lot of, you know, guidance, help, direction. They have questions, uh, but then they give that back to you, you know, so it's kind of this cycle of like, okay, they're learning something, they get excited. Like you mentioned, Kelsey, then you get excited from that. So my final question is, this year we have an incoming class of 2021. What advice do you have for this class, the class of 2021 at Marquette? My advice would be uh, 
to explore everything that Marquette has to offer. You know, it's really easy to come in and to pigeonhole yourself based on your major um, and not experience, you know, all of the different things that truly are at your disposal. Um, so I would encourage students that if you have even just a tingling of interest in something to pursue it while you're here because uh, Marquette will likely, you know, have some sort of group or uh, class, something to support you in that interest um, and to take time to reflect and to figure out what you're truly passionate about. Um, you know, again, it's hard because when you come into college, you're so young and you generally focus on what you're good at. But what you're good at sometimes isn't what you're the most passionate about. Um, and it takes a certain level of maturity to just reflect on, you know, truly what what's going to keep you going and inspire you long term. So I would encourage students to do that. Um, also, I know this is a lot to probably sound like a mom here, um, but I would also encourage students to get off campus. Milwaukee is really an awesome city, and um, there's so much to do, especially in the summer with all the festivals and everything going on, and there's so much culture um, and history here. So, you know, uh, Marquette is only one small slice of Milwaukee, um, and getting off campus is a great way to experience more. I second that, for sure. Um, I would say uh, take a risk. Um, and that doesn't need to necessarily be starting a business or, or doing anything along those lines. Take a class that you um, think might stretch you in a different way. Some of my classes that I talk about the most to this day were ones that had nothing to do with my major or minor. Um, and those are the most profound on me. So take poetry, take a language course, something that's going to really challenge you in a very, very different way. And then... Um, be nice to others. You never know who is going to be your friend, you know, whether that's the person you room with your freshman year, the person down the hall. I think coming in as a freshman is a really exciting and scary experience. And you have to remember that everyone's in a little bit of a similar boat. And some of the people that you meet in really unexpected ways on campus, if you're willing to kind of open up a little bit, can become lifelong friends that you wouldn't have expected that you would have gotten to know. And I think that's what the Marquette community can really enrich your life if you're open to welcoming others in and, and, uh, wanting new friends. So class of 2021, take a risk, get off campus, be nice, make friends, take classes outside your major. Did I get everything? Most I of think it. so. <laughs> All right. Class of 2021, everyone else. Good advice for life. Anything else to plug? Where can people find you or... Uh, we are in the 707 building. Um, it's the corner of Wisconsin and 11th. You can't miss us because our windows are very large and you can see in all of the exciting stuff that's going on. We're also very active on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at 707hub. Awesome. Megan, Kelsey, thanks so much. That does it for this edition. You can find a transcript of this interview, links, and show notes at stories.marquette.edu. If you'd like to nominate someone to be on this podcast, send a tweet to at MarquetteU or a message to Facebook.com slash MarquetteU. For this and more podcasts, visit Marquette.edu slash podcasts. That's podcasts with an S. See you next time.